open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. As I continue to speak on the Lord's Prayer, as I've been doing, I think this is my fourth or fifth sermon on it, as we break it down. I will read verses 1 to 13. Today's sermon, I've incorporated many scriptures to make some points today. So follow along as the scriptures come up on the screen. I'll start in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. I will read to the 13th verse. Follow with me. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give, get up to give him anything, because he is his friend, but because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son, asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let's pray. Father, like always, we come before you. This is your living word, Lord. These are the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father God, for all disciples for the last 2,000 years. We ask you by the Holy Spirit to give illumination and understanding as we go through this text today, Father God, so that we can live for you, that we can honor you and to respect you and to see your kingdom come, Father God, and to strengthen us to forgive our debtors as you have forgiven us, Father God, and to also help us and strengthen us and give us the ability not to fall into temptation, Father God. For you are the first line of defense against sin. You are the first line of defense against temptation, Father God. So, Lord, strengthen us individually and corporately that we might live holy lives before you in this sinful world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we were just praying, I wrote, lead us not into temptation. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer. We're working out of Luke's rendition and not Matthew's. It's a little short, a little more condensed, but it's basically saying the same thing. And we have, we come to this portion of the scripture, this last petition, lead us not into temptation. As I was praying, God is the truly only real defense against temptation. Anything outside of God to overcome temptation sooner or later will fail. We'll speak about that as I get into application of the text. 
Uh, though this is the last petition and I'm speaking on it today, it's not the last word when it comes to this prayer. Next week I will explain the ministry of the Holy Spirit specifically and, and, and strengthening us in the illumination and giving us boldness and what Jesus, I believe, is talking about and what the rest of the New Testament gives us the theology behind it. Ask and God will give you the Holy Spirit. Well, we can say hallelujah and we should. We should have peace and comfort with that and we do. But what specifically does he mean? We'll answer a little bit of that today, but we'll answer more of that next week. Christ is dealing in this part of lead us not into temptation, of the Christian's ability to fall into sin. We all know that. We all know that Christianity is a moral religion and we don't want to fall into sin. We don't want to fall into uh, dishonoring God with our lifestyle, with our words, our deeds, our thoughts, our intentions. We don't want to sin against God. We're Christians. I want to honor God. Easier said than done, though, right? That's why we go to the Father, lead us not into temptation, and that it's a daily prayer. It's not a prayer we say mechanically. It's something that lives in our heart. We take it to heart. This is what Jesus wants for us most of all. If you were to say, what does Jesus really want for me more than anything? First is to know God as Father. After that is to honor God, honor the Father as God, hallowed be thy name. After that is to be part of being kingdom-minded and to have the same mind and to put on the mind of Christ and to see the kingdom of God come in the hearts of other human beings. After that, it is to forgive us our sins. After that is to be forgiven. For he who has received forgiveness becomes a man and woman of forgiveness. And it also comes to lead us not into temptation. We honor God by dealing with the sinful inclinations in our own heart to sin, to fall short, whatever it might be. Unfortunately for many people, when it comes to sinning against God, they'll think of it more of the scandalous nature. You know, the really bad sins. Hate, and prejudice, or drunkenness, or fornication and adultery and so on and so forth. But the Bible gives us a litany of sin. It could be sin of the heart, of just pride and arrogance. The sin of a haughty look, of looking down at somebody and thinking you're better than them. Or gossip. Or murder. Or drunkenness and so on and so forth. So the Bible really covers every area that the human being can sin in. Every faculty. Our thoughts can sin against God. Our intentions, our heart can sin against God. We can sin against God with our words, and we can sin against God with our actions. Jesus says God's the only line of defense against all these things. But it means something else that I think a lot of people miss out on. As we recognize that sin is a moral issue, but sin is something else too. The sin of falling away from God and denying Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking about that here. Lead us not into the temptation of finally denying Christ. That's ultimately the worst sin. And the New Testament constantly warns and exhorts against this. 
being a Christian many years, I've seen people fervently worship God only to find out they don't even know if Jesus is real anymore. How can this be? How can somebody I prayed with and studied the Bible with and people I've laid hands on and, and, and baptized and, and then people I see them walk away from the Lord and, and, and have a sense of, I just don't know anymore, Brian. What happened? Well, the Bible warns us against that and we need to be careful. As for sin, both in its inner inclinations and outward enticements, sin comes from two different areas. It comes from we're born in sin. We have a sin nature. I could be on an, uh, an, an island isolated from the world. And I can find somehow a way to sin against God. I could complain. There's not enough coconuts. So there's too many coconuts. Whatever it might be. We, we find a way to sin against God. But somehow. But there's the outward enticements of the world. The whole world system. And Satan who's called the tempter. He's seducing us and beguiling us. And we're going to see what the scriptures say about that tonight. But Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Pray that God lead us not into temptation. I'll explain that later on as we go on. But the point is, we need to be a people individually and corporately that are constantly saturating ourselves with the prayer of God. Make sure, by your grace, I don't fall into There's the individual, how can I say, nature of overcoming temptation. That's personal faith. If someone's faith is strong, then we have a a greater defense of believing what the Bible says and believing what God is doing in our life and we can overcome sin. I want you to listen to 1 John 2.14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him, that's Jesus, who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We can see here that there is a strength to faith, that God wants us to grow in our strength. God wants us to grow in the word of God so that we can overcome the evil one. We can overcome the beguiling, tempting nature of Satan who comes to knock on our door. And let me know, let me just give you a fast interject here and note that when Satan comes knocking on our door, he wants us to fail miserably. He wants us to fail as husbands, as wives, as ministers, as friends, as daughters, as sons. He wants us to fail miserably in life so eventually enough of those failures will get us to go, you know something, I quit on God. It's not working. I just, I just don't know if Jesus truly is God. I, I just don't know. I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't believe in the virgin birth no more. I can't believe in the resurrection no more. I, I just don't believe in this eternal life anymore. I don't know if my sins can be forgiven, so on and so forth. Satan eventually wants to ruin us and take us out by denying Christ. But the word says here there has to be an individual nature of strengthening on the inside. We go from being a child to being a young man, a young woman in God, to being... Men and women who are seasoned long enough that we can give spiritual life to other people. We'll go into the text. I'm going to show you that. Then there's the corporate dimension of overcoming sin, overcoming the temptation, uh, which consists of confession to one another. Listen to James chapter 
5, verse 16. Praying at all times in the Spirit. That's the wrong text. Is it up there? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is of great power in its working. And we see here that if we want to come over to overcome temptations in our life, part of it is confession. Part of it is sitting down with a more mature believer, men with men and women with women, and speaking about what's troubling in you and all in your life. And having a sense of confession. And that means just to be in agreement with God with what God already knows. You know, there's a there's a certain strength that comes from uh, bringing to light secret sins. Secret sin and secret temptations will ruin us. If we try to get over overcome these things on our own, if you haven't done it in the first week or the first month, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to. It's time to come to somebody, have counsel, pray over this, confess it, bring it to the light, bring it to God, and watch what happens. Listen to Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, that means mature in the faith, should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too fall into temptation. So we see here that there is a confession, there's a, a restoration that comes when we fall into temptation, we fall into sin. This all goes into Jesus' prayer of lead us not into temptation. It's not just to sit home every morning and say, well, God, it's 10 to 5 in the morning, I'm going to pray to you that I don't sin today. The Bible says a lot about not falling into temptation. Jesus is exhorting us to pray and seek God on a daily, throughout the day. Can you say that with me? A daily, throughout the day, conscious effort to ask God for strength over our temptations. One of the telltale signs that someone is overcoming temptation on their own. A little side note. People can do that. They can redouble their efforts. They can try hard. And has some sort of sense of victory. But usually it comes at the absence of compassion and mercy towards those who are still struggling in their life. That's a usually a telltale sign that I'm doing it on my own. But when someone overcomes sin by God's grace and God's mercy, God's compassion, and God's strength, what happens is it softens us on the inside. It makes us more of a compassionate, caring entity on this world called the church. That we're, we, we're compassionate towards sinners. We understand. We understand our own struggles. We understand that we need God every day, all day. And that when I do finally have victory in certain areas of my life, I need not ever, ever be self-righteous towards someone else, but yet I'm to be soft, sensitive, compassionate, understanding towards all people. Amen? So it's important to understand these things when it comes to overcoming temptation. This is a general prayer. Jesus is teaching us, it's a general prayer of just overcoming all temptation, but as we get into the New Testament, we're going to see that there's very many specific applications. Jesus says in Luke 17, 1, 
And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. The Bible teaches us the multifaceted dimensions of sin. Sin and temptation come in so many nuances. It's so beguiling. It's, it's so uh, disruptive to our life. It's everywhere. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7.5. Paul says, do not deprive. This is between husbands and wives and sexual uh, fulfillment. Listen. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Though Paul is talking about sexual matters between the husband and wife here, there is a principle here that Satan tempts, and he tempts us against our self-control or our lack of self-control. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3.5. For this reason, Paul says, when I can bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. If you're not familiar with 1 Thessalonians, let me tell you what happened. Paul's fear is that the work he began was in vain because they eventually denied Christ because of the pressure put on these people from the surrounding community. And Paul knew that if he wasn't there to shepherd them and to be an apostle to them and be a pastor to them and constantly nurture them, encourage them, people who are young in the faith, what happens? Someone else can tickle their ear and sort of mislead them. And that's Paul's concern, that Satan would get into people's lives. So when Jesus says, pray that you don't fall into temptation, it's not just the moral sin we might struggle with in our life, but it's the ultimate sin of falling away, and actually denying Christ. Because Paul says somewhere else, he goes, if you're faithless, if, you, if you're weak in faith, God remains faithful to you. He cannot deny himself. But if you deny him, he will deny you. So there could come a time when people will actually deny Christ. There's also the beguiling nature of sin. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12.3. Paul says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul here is talking about false teachers and false prophets who come in to disrupt the flock and start saying, well, it's not just by grace. You've got you to gotta do this and you have to do that and you have to listen to me and you have to give me this and you have to do this. And all of a sudden, there's a simple devotion to just loving Jesus is, is all gone now. And now we're following all sorts of rules and all sorts of regulations to try to earn God's forgiveness and earn God's favor. When the Bible says you, we cannot. We're weak and frail. We're sinful. And the only thing we can do is truly hope and put all our rest in Jesus Christ. A simple devotion to Jesus. That's what pleases God. And eventually that will change our life. Just by believing, a simple belief and a simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ will strengthen us so strong from the inside out. Understand something. In the first six months, it might look like nothing's happening. I don't know. I'm going to this church and I really feel my sins are forgiven. 
and they, I'm learning about the Bible, but things aren't changing in my life. And then a year later, something starts to happen. Then a year and a half, and then after a couple of years, you sense that something dramatic is changing in your life. You feel and sense you're radically different because of this simple devotion to Jesus with no rules, no regulations, just childlike faith, hearing the truth expounded in its context week in and week out, week in and week out, week in and week out, slowly but surely starts to radically change us from the inside out. That's what happened to me. That's the way it happens. When someone gets saved and gives their life to Christ, it's like, relax now. Relax. God knows your life is a mess. I know your life is a mess. Watch what God does with a mess. Give him some time. Watch what happens by just loving and learning about Jesus and trusting him. Watch what he can do with a mess. Only God can unscramble a scrambled egg. (laughs) And that's what we are when we come, a one scrambled egg of mess. And he puts us back together again. And then there is something the Bible says is the world system. Listen to this temptation. Listen to Mark 4.19. Most of us know the parable of the seeds. Listen to this. Jesus says, As for what was sown, the seed amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the world and prove it unfruitful. I think Mark also says, I'm reading uh, Matthew over here, I think Mark says, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Is that up there? Yeah. Okay. And we see these kind of temptations, the, the cares of the world. Is anybody here struggling with the cares of the world besides me? I mean, it's real. The cares of the world, can, they're real. But it's a temptation. It can distract our thoughts and our minds against God. And before you know it, I'm worrying about everything but a simple devotion to Jesus. The cares of the world, the desire for other things. All of a sudden, another car looks good, another promotion looks well, and things that normally, there's really nothing wrong with it until it turns into a distraction. And now as Christians, we think we're above this? No. Before you know it, we're so career-oriented, so career-minded, we're driven, we're going, it's a quest, it feels good, I got God's blessing, and all of a sudden, church, Sunday, church, oh, Sunday's gone, prayer is gone, fellowship is gone, everything's gone, and it becomes a distraction, it becomes a, tempta- a temptation, and we end up falling away from God, maybe eventually. People that fall away from God, it starts with one sin. It starts with missing one Sunday. It starts with one excuse. It starts with one justifying something. And sooner or later, it just turns over and, and the years go on and it's like, oh, you understand. Listen to John 2.15. Here's another temptation. It goes along with this one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in it. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
desires of the eyes and the prideful possessions of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These temptations are a constant in life. Everywhere we go, they're seducing. Something's trying to steal our faith. Something's trying to steer us off course. Do I need a show of hands to teach X? How many of us have fallen into this? Do you think I'm a pastor that I'm some sort of um, I'm uh, quarantined from this? Not at all. There's only one thing that quarantines me for one day. One thing. Lead me not into temptation this day, Lord. Let me feast on daily bread. I know my weaknesses. I know my limitations. I know where the tempter comes after me. He's, he's got me in the past. I'm 53 years old. I know myself by now. I know how I can fall. I know the areas. I am weak. Father, lead me not. Let me not fail today. The man who sincerely does this, the woman who sincerely does this, the Bible says, as we seek, ask, and not, God will give us the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. And guess what you do when you wake up the next day? You start all over. Day before doesn't count. No merit for the day before. But you do get to know God more and more. And then there is the sinful nature, our own sinful heart. We're born with. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted. Listen, listen now where he puts the emphasis. Each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own sin nature. Have another drink. Have another toke. Have another snort. Have another woman. Have another man. Make more money. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's an there's a uncanny, natural ability in us to gravitate towards that which is wrong. It's called original sin. It is in us. Every human being has it. No one is exempt. No one is above it. Everybody exercises it. And understand something. When we gravitate towards sin, and we can all do it. Matter of fact, we all do it. We're called not to do it by God's grace. We're not just gravitating towards something we hate. The Bible says we gravitate towards the things we love. We might hate the consequence, but we love the sin. If there was no consequences at all to our sinful nature, we continue to do it. The only reason I gave up drinking and drugging at 30 years old, at 25 years old, is because it ruined my life. It ruined my relationship with my wife with my mother, with my friends, with my family, with job. It, it was ruining me from the inside out. And I cried out and said, God, I need help. The consequences drove me to crying out for help. If there was no consequences, I would have never cried 
This verse also answers something. It answers a question that our text brings up today. Does God tempt us? Lead us not into temptation? Am I saying, God, you're the facilitator of my weakness? You're the facilitator? You're the one who's instigating this temptation? Of course. We learn here that God tempts no one. It's best to understand, God, lead us not into failing. Our full dependence on you. Or it could be, this word tempted means tested. And there are times where God will test. Now, this prayer is only for believers. God will test the loyalty of our Christian confession. If months and years are going on where I am playing around, you are playing around with secret sin, and we are not really bringing it to God, God will let us be consumed by the consequences of our sinful nature. He will, as Paul says somewhere else, hand us over to whom? Satan. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a man stuck in this wicked perversion. He's having sex with his mother-in-law or his stepmother. And no one's bringing any correction to this man. And Paul says... Throw this immoral brother out so that Satan deals with his flesh so that his soul can be saved. There are times in our life if we are playing games with sin, God will give us over the consequences of sin because he loves us. And he knows that pain can bring us back home. He understands that. God disciplines all those he loves. So it could mean that. But what Jesus is saying here specifically is God is the first line against all temptation. God is the first line against all sin. This is a preemptive attack on the weaknesses of our own flesh. We can see more clearly from the text that we just read that we really are a frail people. We really are. We're frail and... Uh, we're living in a world full of temptations that Jesus says in Luke 17, 1, as we just quoted. If you're going to live in this world, temptation will come. But he also teaches us that we need to be a prayerful people. And not just that, we need to be in fellowship with other like-minded believers. No man is an island. No man is a rock. No Christian could possibly overcome Satan. No Christian can possibly overcome the, uh, uh, the temptations of this world and, the, and our own failings and our own sin nature without the help and strength of others. We know from the Lord's Prayer, it says, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you, plural, when you pray, listen to Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times in the spirit, that's the church, that's a group of people, and with all prayer and supplication, to that end, be, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to encourage and to pray for all of us at all times. I should be part of a praying community. Prayerfully, when I was gone this week, 
with my wife. People were praying for me. As a matter of fact, I know people were praying for me. I'm in a healthy church. I'm in a healthy community. I know people love me. People care for me and my wife. And I can rest assured that people were praying for us as we were away. And I thank you for that. My job as a pastor and a shepherd is to make sure I pray for everybody in the congregation. And I've shared this before. There's not a person sitting here that I don't see. If I've seen you more than twice, you can rest assured that I have prayed for you fervently from my heart that God will protect you and to keep you and to guide you into paths of righteousness for his namesake. And if you're not too sure about this, what Jesus says here, lead us not, does it sound familiar to you? Do you know Psalm 23? Doesn't have a, a, a shepherd motif to it. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us beside still waters. Lead us to green pastures. Lead us where goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. Restore my soul. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Don't we see this? Isn't Jesus in John 10 called the good shepherd? Can't we see what Jesus is encouraging us through this prayer? For the only real prolonged power, please understand this, over sin, is God himself. That is it. He's our first line of defense. He's our shield. Corporately, as we pray for another, encourage each other, and we know each other, over the months, you get to know people. And over the years, you get to know people. And people know where you could be weak. I have brothers that know where I am. And I know where they are. And so on and so forth. And we encourage one another. And we strengthen one another. Because we want to honor God. I want to honor God. I don't want to dishonor God. I need you. We need one another. But there's something here that might be missing. You might have missed out on the preceding verse says what? Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others their debts. There's also a genuine conne connection with this that what he's saying, lead me not into the same, sin, the same sins I just asked for forgiveness for. Lead me not into temptation. Like, I just repented over all these sins. I'm always constantly asking for forgiveness, God, but I also have to say, God, lead me not into these same things. I'm tired of them. I'm tired of coming to you. I know I'm forgiven. I can ask you 70 times a day and you'll still forgive me. But God, I want to have victory. I don't want to live like this no more. Am I alone? No. Am, am I alone? No. Of course not. Lead me not into temptation, the same temptation. I keep on coming to you every morning. Keep a lid on my mouth. Keep a guard on my mouth. Keep a guard on my eyes. Let me make a covenant with my eyes. Let me make a covenant with my thought life. Let, let me not touch any strange thing. Repentance, asking for forgiveness, something as Christians we know we do it on a daily basis. How genuine, I'll ask a question. How genuine can my repentance and asking for forgiveness to God be if I don't simultaneously say, God, keep me from doing it again? Keep me from doing the same thing again? I know I'm forgiven. I mean, does the prayer end? The prayer of forgiveness, does it end? God, forgive me. Thanks a lot. I got to get out of here. Does it sound like, God, forgive me. I'm tired of myself. 
Lead me not into this temptation, God. I, I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. Jesus says you're a good God. Jesus teaches me you're my father. Jesus teaches me if I come for bread, you're not going to give me a scorpion. If I come to overcome my temptations, you're not going to give me failure. But you're going to give me the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us that. God's desire is to strengthen Christians. It is His desire. He is fully sufficient for the task. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to all men. But God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide a way of escape that you may endure. This is no simple prayer that Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. The Bible says much about temptation. And sometimes this escaping temptation, sometimes it could be a miraculous thing like the parting of the Red Sea. But usually it comes from different ways. Listen to Romans chapter 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God strengthens us against temptation by giving us the wisdom to recognize, I can't, make, I can't go out with these people Friday night. I'm going to fail. I hang out with this group of people. I'm a failure. Are you with me? Yes. Just an example. Just an example. If I do A, B, and C, this is a cause and effect. If I continue to do this, I'm going to fail. You can fill in the blanks of what you're failing. I know where I am. I know where, for me, I've got to put on Christ all the time because if I make provision for the flesh, I'm going to fail. I've done it. As a Christian, before I was a Christian, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. But the Bible also says not just to make provision... But it says to flee from temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22 So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. There's a fleeing. There's there's an actually saying no more. I sever myself from this. From now on, it's the people of God. I'm going to find strength in the Lord and those who worship Him in a pure heart. I'd rather hang out with two or three or four sincere Christians than 10,000 sinners. I'd rather cry. Billy Joel had it wrong. I'd rather cry with the saints than laugh with the sinners. It's clever when you're 18 years old and you're all tanked up and you're singing that song. You're like, yeah, he, Billy, Billy knows something over here. But little does he know, it hurt. Maybe he does know now. It doesn't work. I'd rather be pure and worship with the saint. Constant, conscious prayer over our known failures in life brings us face to face with God. Jesus says, ask, it will be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. And what's God going to do? When God, when Jesus says he gives you the Holy Spirit, do you know what that means theologically? 
gives you himself. All great reward is God. That's what keeps us on the straight and narrow, not fear. A sense of joy that God is the center of our life now. I know what it is to be alone, but never be lonely. I know what it's lived to, to live around chaos, but have peace. I know what it is to be around things that should suck the joy right out of you, but still have a sense of joy. That's what God does for us. The Holy Spirit is given only where the Holy Spirit is needed. In this sense, the Holy Spirit is given only where the Holy Spirit is needed. The Holy Spirit is needed only where a man and a woman have come to the ends of themselves and they know experientially that we are weak and miserable failures without God and that self-sufficiency is no answer for sinful temptations. Then God, as Jesus has taught us, the good and gracious Father, despite the child's failures, grants strength to overcome. And the dependence on God is birth. Paul calls this something in Romans chapter 8. to call being led by the Spirit. I can tell you now through experience in the Word of God, being led by the Spirit comes through many tears, many failures. But no one can redeem a weakness and no one can redeem a failure and no one can take the bitter and make it sweet like God himself. Only God can take sinful, weak, bad people and make them self-controlled saints. Only God can do it. No one else can do it. You can't mimic it. You can't try to control it. Only God can do it. And he does it from the inside out. And he does it by the strengthening of our Holy Spirit. When we come to the end of ourselves and we start praying, God, just don't forgive me, but give me the strength to overcome the temptation. I'm asking the way Jesus says ask. I'm expecting the way Jesus says to expect. I'm praying to a good and gracious, benevolent God who loves me and gave his son for me and won't deny me any good gift. That's God. That's Christianity. That's the God. And in this process, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And after a while, people don't recognize who we are. How come you're not hanging out with us no How come you're not talking the way you used to? What is this Jesus stuff? What is this Bible stuff? Are you quoting Paul all the time? Who's Paul? <laughs> when Jesus says... Lead us not into temptation. This is not some simple, I got nothing to do, let me add a verse of scripture. Jesus is not doing that. He's given us something that's life transforming. It's something that gets us to our knees. And he takes our failures. Instead of being self-contemned and guilty and, and shameful, it drives us to ask God for forgiveness and strength to overcome 
And it's this constant asking, constant seeking, constant knocking, and the constant encouragement from other Christians around us and from the church you belong to. After a while, you really do start to live as Paul told Timothy that he has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And there is no temptation that's common to man that has overtaken you because God is faithful. And we too can hear what John, 1 John 2 teaches us. That young men and young women in the faith have overcome the evil one and all his beguiling nature. Because the word of God abides in their hearts and minds mightily as they become living sacrifices and put on the mind of Christ. I can go on, I can go on, I can go on. I guess I have to stop. I just lost my power. God has a way. Okay. That was the end. <laughs> Let me encourage you with something. How many people know the Lord's Prayer? Honestly. I was taught that from my childhood up. I prayed to go to bed many, many times with tears in my eyes. But I never understood it in the light of the parable and exhortation that comes right after it. That wherever we're lacking, God is a gracious, compassionate God. He's our Father. And all we got to do is keep on asking. And keep on, no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times it looks like we're never going to make it, no matter how many times people give up on us, God doesn't give up. And to go to Him, because He's going to give us a good gift, and eventually we start to sense the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we start to live a different life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all your goodness, all your kindness, Father God. We thank you when it comes to overcoming temptation. You are our first line of defense, Father God. You are our preemptive strike as we come to you, Father God. As life just shows us, living in this world on a daily basis shows us that we're no match for Satan. We're no match for the seduction of this world, Father God. We need something stronger. We need you, God. And that's your representative on this earth. And that's the Holy Spirit, Father. He's your true representative of yourself. In all your power, all your beauty, all your attributes, your divine influence, the third person of the Trinity is your gift to us. It's a gift of yourself to those who seek. As Jeremiah says, if and when you seek me with all your heart. I will reveal myself to you. God, bless all the children here today. I pray, Father, that anyone who struggles with temptation and secret sins, let them know today that you are merciful and graceful, Father. I ask with all eyes closed, are you here today and you might not know that Jesus Christ is a Savior? Is he just an historical figure? Have you asked Christ to forgive you, really forgive you of your sins, and to start this relationship with God as your Father, who will never leave you nor forsake you? Has religion become real to you yet? Please, just ask Jesus to come into your life right now. That's all it is. Ask him for forgiveness. Tell him, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need you desperately in my life. That's it. Let him speak to your hearts right now. 
Repent of those sins and ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I know I'm a sinner. But I know that you are the Savior. I repent of all my sins. And I accept you right now as my Lord and Savior of my life.